0: Welcome to the Capital Integrative Health podcast, a podcast dedicated to transforming the consciousness around what it means to be healthy and understanding the root causes of both disease and wellness. I am Dr. Andrew Wong, co-founder of Capital Integrative Health, an integrative practice committed to expanding access to holistic root cause medicine to the global community. We are excited today to be joined by Dr. Carrie Jones, Medical Director of the Dutch Test. Dr. Jones is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on women's health and hormones. We have had Dr. Jones several times over the last year speak on our wellness webinars, and we always enjoy learning from her. Today, we are going to discuss why adrenal health is so important and what you can do now to support your adrenals. So today we are gonna discuss why adrenal health is so important and what you can do to support your adrenals. Welcome, Dr. Jones.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm thrilled to be here Thank
0: you so much for coming on. And yes, getting started with our podcast here and what better person to bring on than Dr. Jones. Uh, <laughs> and they, now we can talk about the adrenals. We've talked about this a couple of times in our wellness webinars, but just for our listeners who have come on for the first time here, what are the adrenals and why are they so important to our health?
1: We have two of them. They sit, well, assuming you have two kidneys, you have two adrenals that sit on top of each of your kidneys and they are tied to a system called the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal system or HPA axis, which you've probably heard. A lot. And our adrenals, honestly, they produce a number of hormones, cortisol being the most famous. And because it produces cortisol, it really helps us manage our blood sugar, manage our stress, manage our inflammation. Um, it's kind of our fight or flight system. Um, with our whole HPA axis, so they're really important. They get a really bad rap because of their production of cortisol, but they are cr- literally critical to living. We have to have a healthy HPA axis to survive and thrive.
0: And, and please remind me. I want to take a deeper dive into cortisol later because we always think about cortisol being like the bad guy, like oh, too much stress, too mm-hmm. much cortisol. But mm-hmm. we do know, and I'd like to take a deeper dive in this a bit later in this podcast about the relationship between low levels of cortisol and COVID-19 mm-hmm. morbidity. This idea that we actually need some cortisol to reduce some of that inflammation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. But first of all, I, I wanted to also ask you about the Dutch test. Now you're a medical director of the Dutch test and that we could think about Dutch, of course, being a, you know, European designation. Dutch, <laughs> but <laughs> What is the Dutch test? Let's talk about that.
1: It is an acronym. It stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. So it's an at-home collection test where you basically urinate on these pieces of filter paper four, if not five times throughout the course of the day and into the night and let them dry, mail them back to the lab. And what we get off of these filter papers are hormones. So we get your estrogens, we get your testosterone, we get your DHEA, we get your melatonin, Cortisol, as we'll talk about, some organic acids, like a B12 marker, 2B6 markers, other markers. A lot, of, markers. On that test. A lot yeah. of goody things on this test. And what's it, like I said, it's it's pretty comprehensive, hence the, the C and the Dutch part. Uh, and it's easy to collect at home. So for those who don't like their blood drawn, it's great.
0: Now, I want to get to the most important question of the Dutch test, which is in order to send it to the lab and not get it... not let it be eaten by your lab, by your dog. (laughs) (laughs) Just throw that in there. Where where do you, where do you. It
1: happens. It It happens.
0: Yes. Where do you recommend storing it in in your house? If you're getting a Dutch test. So
1: you can let it dry on your counter. You do it to be careful of animals. We get a fair number of calls about animals and kids. who. Okay grab the filter paper and take mm-hmm. off with it. It's a so, toy, yeah. Right, or something fun or interesting. Mm-hmm. And yes. naturally that's what they gravitate towards. So right. somewhere up high on the on the bathroom counter, they can let it dry. Once it's completely dry, and if you're waiting to mail it for whatever reason, maybe it's a weekend, toss it in the freezer. Toss it in the freezer until you're ready to actually ship it out. Uh, just don't forget it's in the freezer. We have had a number of people collect on maybe a Friday, they put it in the freezer all weekend and completely forget about it. And weeks later, they're like, okay. Oh my gosh, can I still send it in? Yes. As long as it's in the freezer.
0: Okay, great. And um, we know that I know a lot of listeners may know about sort of salivary cortisol testing mm-hmm. you know, salivary adrenal testing. If you could just speak to salivary versus urine hormone testing and kind of the differences or similarities there.
1: We actually have a combo too. We, we can combine salivary with urine testing. But salivary testing became really popular because nobody wanted to get their blood drawn throughout the day. That's a lot of of pokes. And so salivary testing came along where you sort of free spit into a tube and you get what's known as free cortisol. Free cortisol is the active cortisol. That free portion of it is what helps it bind to receptors and do the things. So you just look at free cortisol, but that's not the whole picture. And what we did at Dutch is we used urine- so that we could find the free cortisol, but also something known as metabolized cortisol, which is an indicator of total cortisol production. And what I mean by that is free cortisol tells you what's free, but it doesn't tell you maybe the potential of what was available. And so it's nice to know, could you even make cortisol in the first part? And then how much of it is actually free? We also look at cortisone, uh, which is inactive. So some people have low, low cortisol, not because they can't make it, but because they deactivate it. Right. And so having all this um, extra information around cortisol uh, can be really, really helpful in, in answering your questions when you're talking about, I'm super tired in the morning, or I'm super jazzed up and anxious in the morning, and, and how does that relate to my cortisol results?
0: And we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this in a minute in terms of, let's getting more specific into this. Uh, sort of the medical terminology, I think we should sort of maybe differentiate or parse out the difference between what's called adrenal fatigue, you know, mm. or it was classically called adrenal fatigue, and what is, as you said, uh, hypothalamic, pituitary adrenal access, HPA axis) dysfunction. And I think we should also throw in there the sort of accepted medical diagnosis of adrenal insufficiency. Mm-hmm. So where that kind of fits in the spectrum, what is the correct terminology for adrenals? Like, how do you decide with the patient? Uh, someone's coming in, you know, with adrenal issues that they say, Hey, Hey doc, my adrenals are off. You know, do I have an adrenal insufficiency? Do I have adrenal fatigue? You know, do I have HPA access? How do you differentiate there?
1: So (laughs) adrenal fatigue is sexy. It's easy to say everyone understands what it means. And so when uh, adrenal fatigue, the term became popular, it was easily identifiable. And I want everyone listening to know the symptoms are super real, 100% real. I'm not arguing that. In the slightest yeah. i totally believe you when you're tired and burned out um but unless it's addison's disease addison's is the autoimmune inability to produce cortisol um your adrenal glands are not actually fatiguing out they're not like a menopausal ovary they don't go through menopause your, your adrenal glands do not so then we decided there's the umbrella term hpa axis dysfunction so somewhere between the brain and down to the teeny tiny mitochondria in your adrenal cell, there's something wrong. <laughs> some, there's some sort of miscommunication, and that's why you're not making cortisol. And what um, what has been sort of come along since then is adrenal insufficiency. So the sort of the inability to produce cortisol um, and, and often somebody's cortisol is low when they do testing. So I reserve HPA axis dysfunction as more of a grander umbrella term um, because it can be due to a number of things and when they specifically and because dysfunction can be high dysfunction could be low dysfunction can be low in the morning high at night you know low in the afternoon it could be a lot of things whereas adrenal insufficiency more implies ooh, low cortisol across the board why aren't the adrenals producing it
0: and and I think words do have the sometimes ability to elucidate, but words also have the ability to confuse everyone as well. You know, and that's right. why testing can be really helpful. If someone comes yeah. in and says, "I'm fatigued, I'm burned out, you know, I'm crashing," it could be totally an Addison's picture, an adrenal mm-hmm. deficiency. It could be HPA axis dysfunction, dysregulated mm-hmm. circadian rhythm. You know, quite a few variety of possibilities here. So, doing a testing, doing testing is really helpful. Kind of like this idea of tests don't guess. You know, kind of yeah, thing. And,
1: absolutely. You know, we really
0: love that uh, motto here. And I think the other thing in functional medicine, we know that a lot of times when people come in and maybe someone has told them they're fatigued because their adrenals, or maybe they're fatigued because of the they are told by their by their doc that they have a mood issue and they have depression, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the adrenal thing is on their head, you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. moving away from a, the tyranny of the diagnosis, so to speak, to just say, hey, what's the data look like? What does the data look like clinically in terms of your symptoms, how you're mm-hmm. feeling, your lab work, including things like the Dutch tests, mm-hmm. it can be really, really helpful. So thank you for that yeah. explanation. Um, and then let's just going into HPA axis dysfunction a bit more, um, what are some of the signs and symptoms besides feeling fatigued and, and burnt out and things, what other things do you, do you see you know overall commonly? So
1: you can be on either side of the spectrum, meaning you can be uh, fight or flight, stressed out, anxious, panic attacks, can't sleep, insomnia, you wake up in the middle of the night um, and then you can be on the opposite end. You can be burned out, low energy, require lots of caffeine, don't wanna get out of bed. Uh, it's really sort of dragging it's affecting your mood it's sort of affecting how you handle your blood sugar how you handle inflammation all of those things and so that this and it can and it may change depending on the day so for example um, a classic uh, sort of pattern that we see are with our new parents or with our entrepreneurs so they get their kids to bed and then they get their second wind and they do all this stuff between, you know, like 8 and 11 p.m. at night. They're on their computer. They're finishing this up. They're finishing that up. They're cleaning the house. They're, you know, finishing laundry. They're opening mail and or they're watching their TV show. And then they can't fall asleep and stay asleep. So then they wake up tired. So they get this dysfunction because you're supposed to have healthy, robust levels of cortisol in the morning. Mm-hmm. And instead they have low levels in the morning, but high at night. They have what we call as a flipped curve. And so you may be all day fight or flight. You may be all day burned out and tired, or you may depending on the time of the day, feel one or the other, depending on how your, your rhythm is working. Which That's again, right. I agree with you about testing because yeah. um, we can guess sometimes, We you know, a, with what's going on, but if you really want to know that ideally to test on a typical day is the most helpful.
0: And, and what I found is that when people are, are kind of testing on a typical day and they see that result, mm-hmm. there's actionable items that can occur from that, whether it's something like nutraceuticals, but also stress management, lifestyle yeah. nutrition mm-hmm. is that are really, really helpful that they're going to be motivated because they see the result in that test. They see what it's doing to the body because they mm-hmm. feel it. Yeah. I it, know it's real. And then the test is just validating that as well. Yeah. I think it's time for me to take another Dutch test. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have it I in my, help, my home. I can happy
1: yeah. with that. Yeah, it's <laughs> absolutely. I'm
0: sitting ready to go I need to need to get carve out the time to do the Dutch test. You know, hey,
1: I, I love that. You said that it can be a, you know, a good reality check for people. Um, I did my Dutch. I do my Dutch test every year because perks of the job. And um, I did it in March. March into April, and mm-hmm. I knew I was tired and burned out. I knew 2020 had been a very um, trying year. I know for everybody, but it's also an extremely busy year for mm-hmm. me. Everything got moved online and then amplified mm-hmm. ten times over. Mm-hmm. So to see it on paper of exactly how my body was not dealing well, and I was like, "Oh, there it is. I cannot continue to burn the non-toxic candle at both ends because it's only going to get worse." And that, that was, even though I worked for the company and the medical director, and people would go. Well, you should know better i did but i'm also human who's a yeah. pusher and a goer in type a and i thought i can i can get through yeah this.
0: push through it use that right. a gentleman yes it's fine i'm the same way it's yeah. fine i'm
1: fine it's fine and then on paper <laughs> was like you're not fine i'm like okay <laughs> I'm
0: and, and you see these test results actually respond to the lifestyle changes yes. over time if you check it you know and yes. the next few months if, if someone had to test like that or you know whatever their test is and they want to make some changes when would when would you say to them hey recheck it you know when's a good time to recheck it
1: the minimum time um i'd say is three to four months i don't generally retest any sooner than that um and the most common reason is that it gives the you time to make changes uh, whether you're implementing them all at once or over time and for the females who are still cycling Um, It takes about three months for your ovaries to go from like a really tiny, what we call a primordial follicle all the way up into the chosen follicle. So even though we're talking cortisol Mm -hmm. for cycling females, we kind of work, we work monthly and we work in three month spurts as well. So I'm like, well, let's, let's, let's see what happens in three months. So we can see like our next baseline healthiest, if you will. Um, But beyond that, like I said, it takes about 90 days, 90 to 120 days for people to go, okay, I'm gonna make these changes. I'm gonna make them stick. They're gonna they're gonna fall off the bandwagon several times. Totally fine. They're gonna get back on. Um, because if you just give them 30 days, usually it's 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 not long enough.
0: 30 days is enough time to get off and on the bandwagon yes. one time, <laughs> and then you're back to restart, and then you have another more 60 more days there. So yes. I agree with you. I think quarterly is very digestible, I think yes. people, yeah. you know, people can yeah. understand that there's yeah. Four seasons typically in a lot of times, a lot of places. So, you know, it's quarterly. Well, this is a podcast on integrative health, naturopathic and functional medicine. And so what are the root causes of HPA axis dysfunction? You know, what are some of the upstream causes? We have a Dutch test, shows some adrenal dysfunction. Mm -hmm. What, what do we look to for possible root causes? You know, we, we maybe want to talk about the gut or hormones Mm -hmm. or other things.
1: All of those. So when it comes to stress, um, stress is a couple of things. So stress is everything on the outside and everything on the inside. So what I mean by that is, it's your, it's what's what's happening in your environment. It's what's happening mentally, you know, mentally, spiritual. Uh, it's what's happening physically to you. But stress is also actual. So the actual stress you're experiencing, um, it's also um, anticipated. So if um, and um, so. What I mean by that is, it's the stress that is actually happening. But if you're also the type of person who makes mountains out of molehills, so you, um, the stress maybe isn't happening, but you're like worst case scenario type of person, your body reacts the same way. And so it's explaining to people if you are always in that mindset of gloom and doom, it's going to happen. I know it's it, worst case, this is am- awful then uh, your body's like, oh, fight or flight, there must be a tiger, I'm gonna ra- react. And so it's working through that as a person, is that how you identify? Or are you more of an in the moment, handle the stress type of, of a person? Stress, ha- a lot to do with our lifestyle, our, the way we eat, um, infection and inflammation, our cortisol, our norepinephrine and epinephrine, I mean, they play a huge role in our immune system. So if we have chronically upset guts, you know, our microbiome is dysregulated. Mm-hmm. We have Lyme, we have, we're dealing with mold, we're dealing with viruses, <laughs> bacteria, whatever it is, cortisol gets involved. Uh, it's part of your system to help you survive and thrive. And so when it comes to stress, I don't want anyone to downplay it, blow it under the rug, think it's, you know, normal. It's what humans deal with because, Uh, Stress, stress can be, it can be a killer. I mean, it can really worsen quality of life. And so when I think a root cause I'm asking just like you are, I'm asking all the questions, what's going on in your life? What's going on in your body? How are you sleeping? What are you eating? What are you exposed to? How's your family dynamic? Do you have a friend group? Talk to me about your community. All all of
0: those things. All those
1: things. And I don't think people think stress as in like, oh, I got a bad text message or I'm going Mm -hmm. through a divorce or there's a pandemic. 100% on top of that, it's everything else. They don't realize, oh gosh, you mean my gas and bloating? contributes to the way cortisol reacts? Yes. They're like, oh my gosh, you mean when I get hangry or I skip meals or maybe somebody's dealing with diabetes, but not well, like that affects my cortisol? Yes. And so it's nice to know to tie that together.
0: Yes. And and I was remembering when I was learning about sort of the the dichotomy, I guess, or just in terms of uh, understanding, you know, physical stress versus psychological stress, really it all comes back, it does get stored in the body, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, we call it physical or psychological, but even, you know, psychological stress. And then also, like you said, perceived stress mm-hmm. is real too. You know, yeah. that whole idea of running away from a tiger versus imagining running away from a tiger Right. as a result of getting a bad text message or something. <laughs> like, right.
1: Yeah, right. When or you, or you thing, think you know? there's going to be, you, f- you send a message and you expect the message back to be
0: yeah angry
1: and triggering and full of hate and like you stress out over it and then when the text message comes through it's not you've just put your body through a a stress cycle Mm -hmm. that you didn't need to but your body doesn't know
0: i'm just pivoting a little to COVID. i'm I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the inflammatory you know more cytokine storm and this idea of m1 versus m2 macrophages you know this idea Mm -hmm. of like pro-inflammatory versus more anti-inflammatory macrophages Mm -hmm. i'm curious if there's any research out there that you've come across that shows that stress will induce M1 a bit, you know? In other words, this idea that yes, cortisol goes up, does the immune system also get affected with the cortisol imbalances and things like that?
1: It does, it does. I haven't necessarily seen research specifically on studying cortisol and COVID. Um, We at the lab are trying to look at that as people report they're positive for COVID or had COVID at the time of testing, which Mm -hmm. absolutely happened. We're trying to see how that's affecting hormones and cortisol, Um, but we do know in general with any immune response, your cortisol should go up. It's anti-inflammatory, to a point. Of course, the problem is when you have it up and and doing its thing all the time, that we get sort of in this chronic inflammatory immune response.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: yes, cortisol does play an important role in the immune system.
0: Is there a is there a current thought in the integrative health space now about HPA axis dysfunction? You know how we're adrenal fatigue? It was kind of like. Cortisol is high, 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 and after a while it kind of burns out and goes low. Mm -hmm. Is it still kind of thought that that is what happens with cortisol? Okay, there's a
1: negative feedback loop, which is that is real, and so um, you have high cortisol. You have high cortisol. Think this is my analogy. You have a child, and your child is trying to get your attention, right? Like constantly tapping on you, dad, 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 dad. Finally, you're (laughs) like, stop it. (laughs) <laughs> we're done here right like knock it off the brain does the same thing so cortisol's up yeah. up 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 the tissues are like i don't want to deal with all this cortisol yeah. anymore the brain says fine negative feedback loop uh, we're going to shut it down
0: uh-huh. and
1: down drops your cortisol so, so you the cortisol, high, and now you're
0: cortisol receptor resistance I think. you get that too
1: you can yeah. get that too they can be two different and mechanisms.
0: got it okay mm-hmm. locally and and from yep. the FDA. yep um, so, so gut is a big, you know, issue of course, and, and many patients, I think many, many people in the public also maybe isn't, are not aware that stress, you know, a lot of people have heard of leaky gut before mm-hmm. the idea of impaired intestinal permeability, but I don't know if everyone knows that stress itself can cause intestinal permeability.
1: It can, yeah. I wonder
0: about the, that gut adrenal connection too.
1: You have that mucus layer that's really healthy in your, in your intestines. And the mucus layer acts as a buffer between things you eat, things you Mm -hmm. swallow, things you breathe in, what have you. And your mucus layer, um, relatively speaking is, is it's thick. It's to really provide a fortress between
0: inside the tube and the outside of the tube.
1: Right. And so if you have chronic stress, chronic stress, that those, that cortisol, um, adrenaline, so epinephrine or epinephrine, it can wear down the mucus layer for lack of a better word. And now you get a very thin mucus layer and now things can penetrate the fortress. So we want a
0: strong fortress. Yep. Stress management. What are your favorite stress management techniques? I think we can maybe go back to hormones in a second, but yeah. So if
1: we're looking at lifestyle stuff, um, there is this, there's this theory it's called the polyvagal theory where it's looking at fight or flight Um, fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, which is how Mm -hmm. people react, right? Or rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things that helps keep you in rest and digest are things like community and joy and love and play. And it's hard to be fight, flight, freeze, on when you are happy and engaged and you know supported and whatnot so one of the big things that I've been really talking about is is finding joy finding your community and I know lately it's been hard the last year with all the shutdowns but um doing it is the best the best that you can and finding that connection and then the other thing are we know there are a million um like self-care things right meditation there's different forms of breath work, um, you know, every exercise, there are, there's supplements that are, are stress supportive. Uh, it's eliminating foods that, you know, are triggering to inflammation. If you know, you shouldn't eat ice cream because it sets off your gut, like stop eating ice cream. You know, like there's, there's food, you know, as an adult, like right. I shouldn't eat this, but I love it. And I'm going to eat it anyway. Turns out it's a gut bomb, right? Like, un, you know, avoiding those things, reducing toxin exposure, all of these little details add up over over time in a positive manner but what I have found is that it's it's your relationships it's your community it's that it's that joy it's that play for me anyway it's sort of at the at the top of my yeah. my hierarchy of where I start and then I back from there like okay now try breath work it's super easy it's you can do it a minute or two a day look at 10 minutes of meditation you know look at this look at your sleep routine. Are you up late on your phone on your computer? Like let's you know, so then I start to peel apart the other parts of the lifestyle.
0: And it's creating, you know, that joy and that purpose and that higher order meeting is creating that that sense of safety, I think, to all of yourself. Yes. You know, it's yes. some, like that is the fertilizer for your immune system to remain Absolutely. strong, the fertilizer for your gut to remain, you know, a healthy mucus fortress, you know, things like that. <laughs> um Yes. Yeah. And I think you mentioned also in one of our talks together about massage and body work and how mm-hmm. that can really affect the circulation that goes up to the hypothalamus and pituitary. Yeah. Or, like,
1: if we think uh, about it, our blood, our, our, um, arterial system is our, Hormone superhighway. I mean, it's where Mm -hmm. everybody travels through and around. So, if you are listening to this and your shoulders are up at your ears and you're in a weird position and you're sit down desk or you're, you know, hunched over, you're going to affect how your blood flow, your lymphatics flow, everything goes up and down from your brain, where it's where the signal starts, down into the rest of your body. And so it's, First of all, posture, <laughs> yeah. right? Like pull your head back, stop looking down at your phone and sit up straight. And then second of all, it's evaluating like, gosh, you know what, maybe I should see a chiropractor. Maybe I should get massage. Maybe I should get some acupuncture and really work on the tightness of your the upper traps and the neck and you know, all the upper back stuff because it could, it could really make a, a world of difference. One, you'll help with pain, two, mobility, and three, that hormone superhighway.
0: And a lot of times too, in traditional medicine, we talk about like take an aspirin three times a day, or, you know, take X medication, or even nutraceutical, you know, and, and it's almost like the, these treatments are external and they're time limited, but we don't think of what we do moment to moment, every single moment Mm -hmm. to support Mm -hmm. or maybe harm our adrenals, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, we might eat that ice cream, but if it's an 80, 20 rule thing. And we feel good about it. We feel connected to the family and friends and the rest of the time we don't feel guilt about it. And it's like, okay, yeah. I enjoyed that moment versus if someone ate that ice cream and then they felt guilty for the next, you know, 48 hours, what's that doing to their gut? You know, that's kind of an interesting yes. kind of thought. I
1: completely agree with you. I find that people, I get this anecdotal feedback a lot from people when I'm on vacation Mm-hmm. I feel like I can eat more foods. I was like that is a big trigger. I mean that's a telltale sign right? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's a trigger to me to be like, oh. Hmm. People
0: Stress are more relaxed big, and yes. They're
1: more relaxed, they're get generally better. happy, they're generally around people they enjoy, you know, Absolutely. they're doing something they enjoy. It's it's truly a vacation, it's time off. Exactly. Uh, but you're right. I think and the reason I say if you know a certain food bothers you, what happens is people tend to get in this um, sort of me- mechanistic eating, like it's dinner, must eat. And then like, oh, I'm bored. I'm watching TV. I'm disengaged. I want ice cream. As an example, I don't mean to pick mm-hmm. on ice cream. And so then they eat the ice cream. It's delicious food. Right. And then, they, <laughs> and then they, they're like, oh, you know, it's a gut bomb. But they, but they weren't really savoring the moment. It wasn't in a great environment. It was, you know, it not, they may not even even felt guilty. They're just bored and out of habit. Absolutely. That's their comfort food. And so that's where I'm like, Ooh, we've got to evaluate some of these relationships because
0: now going into food a bit, cause we know that food is medicine, right? Mm-hmm. So we have someone with HPA axis dysfunction or adrenal issues, adrenal imbalances, how do we support the adrenals using diet? What are your top tips for nutrition there?
1: Electrolytes are a big one. So okay. I find that, um, you will hear online of people saying, you know, add a little bit of salt to your water in the morning. Um, and, which can really make a big he- help a big difference. Um, but even just getting unsweetened, Um, electrolytes of those people who are into electrolyte powders, Mm -hmm. that can make a big difference in how you feel and how you hydrate. And of course, dehydration is a stressor as well. Eating regularly. um, What I mean by that is when you are in a state of insufficiency um, and you don't eat, if you don't have the cortisol to get you the blood sugar, the the glucose to be made to break down um, then you become hangry and you yep. become hypoglycemic <laughs> and you get more stressed out, right? And then you produce more cortisol as a result. Right. And so in that those states, I know intermittent fasting is a big deal now. I know long fasting is a big deal now. It's
0: mm-hmm. all the rage um, right now. It's yeah. all
1: the rage right now. And I'm not against it, um, but I do think certain people need to dip their toe in the water or maybe work on their adrenals first um, mm-hmm. before they go doing 24-hour fasts, and but yet they can't even make it through their day. Cause they're so tired.
0: Yeah, certainly step-by-step. Step. That's something yes. that, you know, I always kind of learned through my you know, family upbringing was like, take things step-by-step step, one thing at a time, if you're not used to 24 hour fasting or even 16, eight, then you right. really don't want to go probably past 12 hours on 12 hours off. Right. I would say, um, right. you know, a lot of people may start with not snacking and just eating like three meals a day, and then exactly. just seeing how your body is feeling, and cer- certainly stress and sleep and all these things can affect. Uh, even people's menstrual cycles can affect right the mm-hmm. ability to yeah. uh, be able to tolerate your low-carb or intermittent fasting type of diet. So, kind of curious too on the the aspect between males and females if you find any differences clinically there about the ability to tolerate intermittent fasting or other nutritional changes like that.
1: With females, I do tend to see that it affects where they are in their cycle. And so as a woman is leading up to her period, if she's especially prone to that, that late luteal PMS time is what we refer to it as. Mm -hmm. Usually she's craving more carbs. She actually needs maybe more carbs. A lot of the experts out there are saying, get yourself out of a low carb state. Don't be in ketosis necessarily right then Um, versus when you are bleeding, when you have your period leading up to ovulation, when your hormones are... um, lower and then estrogen starts to rise, Like that's a much better time to do some sort of intermittent fasting or longer fasting because those hormone shifts and the hormone demands, the hormone signaling uh, does play a role in, in how intermittent fasting or fasting will do for you. And so I hear women who go, oh my gosh, I'm doing keto or I'm doing low carb or I'm trying fasting, but it's right before my period and I'm miserable and I'm hungry and I'm moody and I'm like... Yes, <laughs> you have to work with your hormones, not against yeah. them. And I, I so. think
0: that is the danger of Dr. Google or the internet is yes. like intermittent yes. fasting is great for this one group or this case study. So it must yes. be good for every single For person. everyone, Which,
1: exactly. Yeah. Especially because yeah. it's a lot of men and I, I'm not picking on men at all. It's men, a lot of um, men who kind of started the conversation originally around ketosis and intermittent mm-hmm. fasting. A lot of the studies have been on men. And mm-hmm. so women were like, fantastic, I can do this too um who are still cycling. Um, whereas men and time. menopausal women yes. are different. They can yes. they can handle it. Okay. Wait, they're not cycling.
0: And, and do you think it's from the boost in estrogen that that happens when needing more carbs that it helps or it's a boost in serotonin? It's
1: it's for progesterone. It's more for, for to maintain okay. it's more to maintain progesterone ah, okay. production. Okay. Yeah. okay. yeah. Yeah.
0: Great. Um and then how to get tested if you think you have adrenal issues. You are the medical director of the Dutch. Maybe <laughs> we can start with that. Totally
1: biased. <laughs> but what are some good <laughs> yes. tests
0: for the adrenals?
1: Um, so I will, I'll start with serum. And okay. so if let's say somebody got a blood test for okay. their cortisol, it's called a total cortisol. And the reason it's a total is cortisol is like a child that can't be unattended at any time. So let's say you get a value of 10 when your blood draw, you, what you don't know is how much of that is bound up on a bus and inactive or is free and available. So a 10 tells me nothing. I have no idea if you're nine free or nine bound up. So then we have saliva, which is easy to collect and at home, unless you don't like spitting, then that's a problem. Um, and, but it gives me the free cortisol, how much is available. And then we have Dutch testing, the dried urine part, still easy to collect at home, but does give you more information. You get the free cortisol, you get cortisone, you get total cortisol production, plus other cool things like melatonin. And so it gives you a bigger package in urine testing. So I, being totally biased, like the Dutch testing. Um, but I do know the other, um, you know, if you've got to start somewhere, then, then just start, you know, if you've never done this before, if you're brand new, if that's what insurance will cover, it'll give you a little bit of insight, but I do prefer to be, if you're going to spend your money, spend it on something I that's going to give you yeah, answers.
0: That's, that's a great value. and And I think there's another piece of it, which I think might've mentioned, but eight hydroxydequanazine, this idea of this DNA oxidative stress yes. marker. Yep. Um, and we know that with different types of estrogen metabolites, if they're inflammatory, they can actually damage the DNA and lead mm-hmm. an to cancer. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Potentially. Yeah. Yep because if the DNA is damaged we don't want that because that means that our DNA repair system has to come in and fix it but so, so we don't we want to be right.
0: not call it a cancer screening test or something it
1: is not that, no it is not a know, cancer screening test uh, no if
0: that marker is high we know there's some inflammation going on and we know we mm-hmm. have to, try to dig in like an archeologist, so to speak, to find some of the yeah. cause or causes that's going on. Now, yeah. why would, why would my regular doctor not know about this type of test? You know, if mm-hmm. someone is kind of come to me, like no one told me about this before, what, what is your answer to that? Usually. Yeah.
1: Honestly, they're not taught in school and right. it's, it's considered a more functional test. Right. I mean, you would know this best of all <laughs> having gone that route first,
0: <laughs> definitely um, not, no education but, on that at all. Not, no education for, uh, on this at all. Yeah.
1: And in a lot of conventional medicine and endocrinology, there's Addison's and then there's Cushing's, right. which is right. the opposite end of the spectrum. Black and that's and it.
0: Thing, it's yeah. very
1: black and white. There's no gray area. There's no sort of functional cortisol issue. It's, well, you're not Addison's you're not Cushing's, so you're normal. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you need eight cups of coffee and you can't get out of bed and you're super exhausted or um, struggling to get through your day. And, and that's really unfortunate. So that's where the sort of creation of these tests have been born. So out again,
0: is. yeah, test on guess because we can use more precision testing to then mm-hmm it then converts to more precision medicine as well. Yeah, so really absolutely. helps a lot. You've done a lot of success with the Dutch test, using it, doing a lot of consults with you, Dr. Jennifer, <laughs> thank you much. Yes, of course. Yes. Let's pivot a little to COVID since that is the hot topic right now. What are your thoughts on sort of COVID and the adrenals and how to support the adrenals in this time of COVID?
1: We know with COVID, um, it, or at least I've been told and, and done some reading up that COVID can affect the mitochondria. Hmm. So our mitochondria are cellular powerhouses. We learned about that in school. They help Mm -hmm. us make our ATP to power up our cells and everything in our body. Um, But the mitochondria are also where you produce hormones, uh, such as your sex hormones, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, also where you produce cortisol. And so if your mitochondria is affected, some of these Uh, people who unfortunately have like long COVID is an example. What's a primary complaint? Fatigue, right? It's primarily fatigue. And so I'm loving the research that's looking into what's going on with the mitochondria after a COVID infection. Sounds like in mitochondrial
0: dysfunction post-virus, whether it's COVID Mm -hmm. or Epstein-Barr, even even virus mimickers like mycoplasma that go inside the cell or Lyme that goes inside the cell, bacteria that go inside the cell and act like viruses. They're almost like the factory workers have left the building, you know, like yeah. the mitochondria stop working, they stop kind of producing for us. And then we get that fatigue. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I know in our practice, we've definitely found that, you know, IV nutrition to be helpful, mm-hmm. certain, you know, nutraceuticals that have been helpful. And, and certainly people are often having to modify their work schedule, their life schedule yeah. so that they're not having as much demand because if there's too much demand for their ability to actually produce the ATP from the mitochondria, then you get basically mitochondrial uncoupling, And you basically get this idea of too much stress on the mitochondria, and then they just kind of fall apart, and not right. You just don't want to work right. anymore at all.
1: Yeah, and then so, we get what we call the fancy word is mitochondrial autophagy or mitophagy. Um But what we say is like, well, you know, the the body recognizes the mitochondria aren't doing well, mm. uh, and it, I'm like, well, then it has to like put it out to pasture, right? Like, yeah. I'm like oh, you've got to go. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <I> like <laughs> Which that. is not good either. <laughs> right, right. So, um, and then. I think back to the first comment about cortisol. So again, cortisol is not all bad Mm -mm. and, you know, we need cortisol. If we didn't have cortisol, we would have this Addison's or this adrenaline deficiency. Mm -hmm. Too little cortisol can lead to things like hypotension, like low blood pressure, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. or things like, uh, you know, certainly extreme blood sugar dysregulation as Mm -hmm. well, things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, and then obviously too high of a cortisol, which you're going to get with chronic stress, you know, that's going to be the situations can even affect people's bone health. Yeah. You know, their osteo- oh, yeah. Knee uh, osteoporosis. Um, people are on steroids too for a lot of years. Um, I-, I wanted to ask you about pharmaceuticals as well, because I've seen a lot of people recently that have come in that have been on Adderall for, well, well, I would just say sort of generally I'd I'd say ADHD meds, Mm -hmm. not necessarily just Adderall, but ADHD meds or SSRIs, you know, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors that are used for either anxiety or depression, for instance. And they have actually signs on their Dutch test of basically HPA axis dysfunction with low cortisol, very low. Mm Mm-hmm. And my understanding of some of these medications is that while they're really good, sometimes it can be life-saving for some people in the short term and they're appropriate at times. In the long term, if those root causes are not addressed, the mitochondria can be affected mm-hmm. by, by yep. these medications. I'm curious if yep. you've kind of seen that on the test. I box.
1: have. I have seen that. Yeah. It's usually with the ADHD medication, we will see in the when you start it, we will tend to see cortisol go up, right? Cause it's a, it's a stimulator. And so, um, people feel better. They feel like they can focus. They have more okay. energy. They're thrilled. But just as you said, if maybe some of those root causes, not necessarily of ADHD, but of HPA axis dysfunction, it's mm-hmm. just like, Oh, here, try this med do nothing else. Um, which is very common. Then over time, the body's like, oh, I'm pumping out all this cortisol for you and you're not addressing anything. And so gradually cortisol starts to drop down, which yeah. is different, different than those who are on steroid medications. So think of your prednisone, your injections, your topical creams for rashes and eczema and what have you, your nasal sprays, your yeah. inhalers yeah. that are steroid based. Yeah. Totally different. So that works by taking over. So this those steroid medications will take over for the HPA access. So it will suppress your cortisol production and it will instead you medicate with that. And so that can be really challenging too because let's say you choose to go off and you you wean yourself off, but now you have to get your HPA access to like open the factory again. Start to make online. cortisol. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. We talked about cortisol. I think we should just touch on our—I don't know if it's a big sibling or little sibling, but DHEA. Yes. <laughs> yes. Would you consider <laughs> not to put you on the spot? But would you consider that a big sibling, little sibling, identical twin? What is um, it? It's, It's—it's more
1: like its counterpart. counterpart. Uh, DHEA um, is my favorite hormone. If I had to choose a favorite, it's all—it's DHEA. Yeah. In the brain, it acts like a neurosteroid. It's very protective against the damaging effects of cortisol, DHEA gets a bad rap because women think, oh, I don't want high DHEA, acne, Mm -hmm. chin hair, PCOS. Mm -hmm. Um, but DHEA is really quite helpful just like everything else when it's in balance. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is helpful.
0: Do you recommend? For people to talk with their practitioners about uh sort of supplementing, or how do how would you get the DHA up if you didn't want to use supplementation, if you wanted to use maybe herbals or lifestyle, et cetera?
1: Well, it's made in the adrenals. So whatever you're going to do to support the adrenal glands will, um, will help hopefully that. have a roundabout effect on your DHEA as well. Now, there is a difference between DHEA and the sulfated form known as DHEAS. Okay. And genetics gets involved there to put the S on. You have to have an enzyme called SALT, SULT, S U L T. It comes from the SALT SNP. And um, sulfotransferase is what puts it on. And so, if you have SALT issues, you may not have adrenal or DHA issues. What you may have is the SNP issue, a, a mutation or uh, a variant. And so, it, it is more complicated than people like to try to make it. Like, oh, your DHA is low. Let's take just, just take it. You'll be fine. I'm like, well, actually, You make DHEA, you just can't sulfate it. Let's address that.
0: I I can't get out of my head, so i have to say this on on air here, but Dr. Salt is a functional medicine doctor, actually. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) I had to say that. Yes.
1: that is true. Listening yes. at some yes. point
0: so, thank you. Different um, salt. <laughs> yes. Different salt. And so, um, the other thing I wanted to just touch on is is thymic activation. You know, you talked mm. about one of your webinars, I think, at Dutch about cortisol and thymus activity. So, what is mm-hmm. the thymus? Why is it important with the immune system? How is cortisol related to the immune system? Again, just in this COVID era here, we're kind of
1: absolutely on that. Your thymus gland sits behind your your chest bone here, your breastbone. It's different than thyroid. It's this is thymus we're talking about.
0: Thyroid is here and thyroid is
1: neck. Thymus is down, (laughs) down below the the chest plate. Um, So the thymus gland is super critical to your immune system. When you have new baby T cells that are entering into baby T cell, cell school, they have to mature. And as they mature, one of the classes they take is Are you autoimmune? And so the thymus gland will take your baby T cells and run them across basically every tissue, every piece that you have in your body to see if you accidentally react. And if you accidentally react and you're autoimmune, then you fail T cell school and you have to be destroyed. And one of the big triggers to help get you to destroy that autoimmune cell is the rise, the healthy rise in cortisol in the morning. And so if you don't get that, let's say you have low cortisol in the morning, then that T cell that is reactive could slip out and go into circulation. And so when you have low cortisol issues in the morning, it could worsen your autoimmune symptoms. It could worsen your autoimmune progression. And I hear this a lot from men and women who say, gosh, in the morning, my joint pain is worse. They have autoimmune something or my thyroid symptoms are worse or whatever they're, my Crohn's is worse. Whatever's going on in this, in sort of inflammatory autoimmune state. And we find out with that low cortisol, one, they can't temper their inflammation because cortisol is low. Um, but two, it's possible that it's related to the fact that their thymus gland, is, the thymus school is like, hello, I'm pulling them aside. I'm pulling the failed ones aside. Come help me destroy them. So, and they're not going to destroy school
0: destroyed. is out to lunch or even summer break, let's say for the thymus, does that mean that we're going to lose T regulatory cells in that situation or-, or It's is possible. It it's
1: it's it's a little different um but it's it's, what we don't want are the autoimmune t-cells to go out into circulation so a t-cell that's already trained has already been wired to attack something like your thyroid like your intestine like your joint we don't want that to go out in circulation we want clean well-educated t-cells to go out (laughs) So (laughs) they all need a college
0: degree or at least a college degree yeah graduate degree. All right. Yes. That sounds great. And um, so, you know, we know that, you know, with the root cause of, of adrenals, it's really looking for, to the root cause, finding practitioners, finding mm-hmm. amazing functional labs, like Dr. Jones's lab, the Dutch test here. Thank you so much, Dr. Jones, for joining us today. And where can listeners find you to learn more?
1: I hang, well, I hang out with you a lot, <laughs> but I hang out on Instagram. <laughs> yes. I am at Jones, And that's where I do most of my education.
0: Thank you so much, Carrie. And thank you, Dr. Jones. If you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a moment, uh, take a moment to leave us a review because it helps our podcast to reach more listeners. And we're just starting out here. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And thank you so much, Dr. Jones.
1: My gosh, thank you so much.